All right, tonight we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 32. And so we're picking up from where we left off um, right around Thanksgiving. I think it's the last time we got together, yeah? Or was it December? Early December. And if you remember um, in chapter 31, in the last half, we looked at um, Jacob's getting away from Laban. And we had talked about how um, he needed to separate himself from Laban, how that was really a a type of, well, not a type, but it was as if we, when we separate ourselves from the world, we need to get away from those influences and those things that would seek to draw us back. And we know that God had commanded Jacob to go ahead and, and go back to the land. And it wasn't an easy thing. And things don't get any easier for Jacob, really, in chapter 32. What we see as we see that in this chapter, it requires him to step out in faith. And we start to see some of the the conflict in faith that arises when we begin to trust in our flesh. And we see his eventual submission in faith as the, as the Lord wrestles with him in the last part of the chapter. And so we'll be looking at a couple different things here. First, in verses 1 through 6, we'll be looking at uh, the situation of Jacob. And we see that it's marked by God being near him in a time of trouble. And that's in verses 1 through 6. Secondly, we'll look at Jacob's response to difficulty. And his response was carnal in verses 7 through 23. And lastly, in verses 24 through 32, we'll look at Jacob's uh, submission to God. And it wasn't an uneasy submission. Let's go ahead and read the first six verses first. Uh, Genesis 32. It says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. So when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, well, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And so what we see here is we see that the first thing that happens is he realizes God is near in verse 1 and 2. And so we see first that as he had left uh, Laban, you remember at the line of demarcation, they made that dual memorial saying basically a line in the sand, don't cross it or else. You know, Laban said, I'm praying that God's going to get you if you do. And he leaves, and the first thing that he realizes is that God's angels are there, and he meets with them. And, of course, this is a word for angel. It's just very similar to the word that talks about messengers. Okay, It's both uh, used of uh, human and supernatural messengers. And he encounters them. So he came face-to-face with the angels of God. We don't know how many there are. We don't know um, what form he saw them in, um, but he sees that they're there. And so the important thing is this, is that, we see that God sent them there for Jacob to see. Because the reality is this, is that those angels were always around. There was always help there for Jacob, but the Lord allowed him to see it, see that at this time. I think the Lord gives us these opportunities to see his hand in our lives when we need it. And sometimes even in preparation for difficult times. And this has happened um, in numerous times, both in people's lives and in Scripture where people recount seeing angels, you know, physically people touch angels. We know that we are some are told that uh, we need to be careful how we deal with people because sometimes we might entertain angels unwittingly. You know, it's never happened to me, not that I know of anyway, but uh, but it, it, it happens. And so he's there for encouragement. He, in fact, when he sees this, he um, says that the place is God's camp. He calls it Mahanaim. So he understood that the place belonged to God and that God's help was present in the form of these angels. And the word Mahanam just means two camps. So really, he's like, well, I'm here, but you know, these angels, they're the ones that are here. And he understands that this is there for his encouragement. It's there to, to help him. And, and, that, and that, that's important for us to remember that God is a very present help in time of need, right? That God's help is always uh, with his kids, and, and we're his kids. Uh, the big question then is, if we know that that's true, we know that's a fact, um, do, what do we do when we know that God's help is always present? What are we doing with that? 
We have to avail ourselves of him. We have to take comfort in the fact that we have him there. You know, what's our reaction to the knowledge of his help? Do we allow him to do those things? Because the reality is that sometimes we keep him from doing what he wants to do, from the ways that he wants to help us, from buffering us against the difficulties that um, await us. And the Lord's good. He's gracious, and he worked despite you know, all the things that we try to throw at him. I mean, we see that with, with Jacob time and time again, all the stupid things he's done. And the Lord just keeps pursuing him. He just keeps getting after him. Keep saying, Jacob, nope, Jacob here, you know, gets him in a headlock finally, and he starts to listen a little bit. And so he, he sees that God is there with him. But then it, he knows that he's coming into the land and he's coming into his, his brother's area. So he announces his arrival to his brother Esau. And so he makes preparations. In verse 3, it says that he, he sent messengers ahead of him to Esau, who lived in Seir. And uh, he wanted to not just prepare, but he wanted to let his brother know, hey, I'm coming. You know, I, I, I got to think that Jacob was sending out feelers as well to see what kind of a reception he was going to get. I mean, it's not like they left on good terms the last time they saw each other. And so, you know, I think he wanted to know what he was getting into here. And so he, he's very specific in the way that they're supposed to go and approach his brother. He, he tells them how to speak to Esau, and he gives them these instructions. Hey, go present yourselves. You know, say your servant Jacob says, I've dwelt in Laban and stayed there until now, and I have all these oxen and donkeys and flocks and, and all this stuff. And they talk about his possessions and his family and that he was with Laban. It was a bit of a history lesson for what Esau had missed out on Jacob's life, uh, where he'd been. And, and I think he really wanted to assure his brother that, hey, I've got my own stuff. I'm not coming for your stuff. Because I think he's done enough of that taking from his brother already. And so he's letting him know, I, I, you know, I'm good. I, I'm not coming to take. I'm not coming to lie or deceive. This, this, is, this is where I've been. You know, and that the messenger would tell Esau that, that Jacob was looking for his favor. And I think that Jacob, he was looking for this peaceful reception. And, and as he gets there, he was really submitting to his brother. I mean, he called himself um, the servant of his brother. I think that Jacob is a, a humbler man than he was before. He, he's different. I think living for the last 20 years under the thumb of his uncle has taught him that. I think that learning to hear God and then to listen has, has taught him that. And so he seems to be doing everything he can to get things started on the right foot, to make sure that things will go well with he and his brother. And remember, he is acting out on obedience. Where the Lord told him, you go ahead and go back. And um, we know that um, Jacob was under the impression that he wouldn't go back until his mother would call him back, if you remember. His mother said, you get out of here, your brother's going to kill you. I'll send for you when it's time. And the word never came. And so he sends the, the messengers here, and they go out and they touch base with his brother. And they come back with uh, a scary message. It seems that like he's in danger here in verse 6. It says that his brother's coming to meet him with 400 other guys. And that word meet, it means to encounter. And the difficult thing is that sometimes it's used for friendly meetings and sometimes it's used for hostile meetings. So I don't know if he knew exactly what the intentions were of his brother, but he definitely knew that uh, it, you, know, you generally don't come with 400 guys just to say, welcome back. And so he, he's pretty worried about things here, I believe. It's unclear and it, it's foreboding and it puts him on edge to say the least. If you remember Genesis 27:41, it tells that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his own heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So once my brother, my, my dad's done, I'm going to, I'm going to get him, you know, and that of course is shortly followed by Jacob's fleeing out to Laban. And it's interesting, you know, Jacob in the, the recent past here in his life, he's done his best to kind of obey God. He's been doing things that he didn't know that were in a lot of ways out of character for him previously. And here he goes um, trying to follow. He sees that God's with him. He sees angels. You know, he thinks, all right, things are going to go good. And now he has difficulty staring at him. He has uncertainty. It's always interesting in our lives with God how often... 
bad or difficult things seem to pop up just when we think things are going well. And we, we know that we're going to have difficulty as believers. We understand that there's going to be times when uh, uh, th- uh, difficulty follows because of our faith. There's going to be times when we bring difficulty into our own lives. There's going to be times when there's attacks that, that rise up. And we, we've learned not to be comfortable. We understand the nature of our faith is such that we are constantly involved in a spiritual warfare. But that these difficulties arise, um, they shouldn't throw us into a fit. Rather, these difficulties should um, cause us to go ahead and seek God more fervently, more diligently, in a deeper way than we had before. That's where God would have us be. That's one of the reasons why he shows us these people's lives and all the things that happen time and time again. So that we would take no and we'd say, all right, I know I'm not promised comfort and I understand that. And I hear that all the time, but sometimes I, I get caught in that, that little bit of a lie that I tell myself that th- things are going well. Things are good. I could kind of put things into cruise control and God says, mm, not, that's not the way it goes. Whether it's something that is our fault or is not our fault, it, it makes no difference. In this case, you know, difficulties that are rising in Jacob's life on account of his brother, Jacob's fault. You know, things are coming back to get him. Uh, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost here with Jacob. And so he sees this difficulty, 400 men coming his way, and he knows that it, it's no good. But notice how Jacob responds here in verse 7. It says, So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, Well, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So then Jacob said, well, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now have become two companies. Well, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well. And make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten foals. And then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he is coming behind us. So he commanded in second and third and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. So we see first here, in the first verse, first part of verse 7, in fact, that Jacob's reaction is one of fear. So everything he does here is kind of born out of that fear. It says that he was greatly afraid and distressed there. And so in being distressed, it's the idea of being put in like a tight spot. That really is the, is the best way to say it in English here um, from the way they're describing. It's, it's being put in a narrow place, you know, to be arrive in difficulty. And it's, this, it's a very powerful emotion. And it's when you are pressed by enemies or by wrong decisions or by the consequences of passions is when we see this word being used. And so Jacob hears this news, and, and he's terrified, and, and it's, it's tearing him up. He's feeling the pressure. He's feeling like, man, I, this, is, this is no good for me in the least. And he fears for his safety. He fears for the safety of his family. And we know what that's like. We know what it's like when not just when something threatens us, but when something threatens the people that we love and the people we care about and the things we care about. Uh, we, we react uh, um, in ways that are sometimes irrational and don't make sense or or are hurtful. And so Jacob here, as he sees this, 
he he's discomfited by this news. In fact, the fear that he has here, it, it really is quite a natural thing for us to go through. It's not something that's extraordinary. I mean, we, we're fearful of a great many things in life, unfortunately. But the question is, is, as believers, what do we do with fear? Do we allow it to rule us? Do we allow it to drive us? Do we allow it to be the decision maker in our lives? Because if that's the case, then the decisions are going to follow poor for us, aren't they? They're going to result in, in results that, that we don't really want. They're going to take us places that are going to be injurious to ourselves or to others. So to guard against that, we have to rely uh, on the knowledge of, that we have in God and who he is in his ever-present help in our lives. Because the more that we're aware of that, the more we stand on us in a solid place, the more we have that firm foundation where we will not be moved. And that's the whole purpose of us getting together in times like this, getting together in the word of spending time in the word and prayer on our own, is that we would have that foundation in our lives. Is that when these times come and the difficulties arise, that yes, we might get nervous, we might get scared, and, and we don't know how things are going to go, but then we stop and we think, well, the, the Lord is with us. In Exodus 14.10, um, the, the people of Israel had gotten away from Pharaoh, and they were fleeing. And it says this, it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. It says, so they were very afraid, it says this, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. I, I think that's a good response. They're scared as all heck, and like, Lord, help. I, 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 I need your help now. Uh, you're the one that can take care of this, and there is nobody else. And that's a perfectly acceptable response. If we did more crying out to God on a regular basis, how much better would our lives be? I mean, how would we allow God to minister to us? You know, I think about the difficulties of believers in the New Testament. Uh, Paul's life is just crazy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he's talking about the things that he and the people that serve with him have gone through. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. He, he says, uh, we, we were going to die. We had no hope, but we had our trust in the Lord. We know that he has the power of life and death in his hands. It was just like that song we were singing uh, earlier tonight, right? I mean, that is so true. The resurrection is it. We know that if he has power for that, then all of the things, all of the things are easy. So he says, in whom he puts all their trust, he says that he's going to deliver that. that that's a lesson for me. You know, Jacob, he, he gets scared here. And uh, he, start, he tries to take some precautions. As a result, it says that he divides his people up into two companies. He, he's acting, in a way, he's being shrewd. Because he's hoping that, well, you know, while I can't defeat 400 armed men coming my way, at the very least, some of us can live and make it through this, you know. And this is a, a desperate move. And, and he was in a tight spot, like we said. He couldn't go back because Laban was back there, right? And Laban made it very clear what he wanted to do. He, he, if he goes forward, I mean, he's got his brother waiting for him. So what's he going to do there? If one way or another... It's going to not be good for him. And so Jacob, he finally resorts to prayer here. It says that he turns to God and he says, Oh God of my father Jacob and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. You know, Jacob, as he turns to pray, it's a bit of a last-ditch thing here for him. But he reveals some things that he's beginning to understand, I think are important in the development of his character and of his faith here. Notice that as he starts to pray here, he acknowledges God's history and God's agency in his own life. Okay? So he turns to God for help, and you know, he, I think as he's beginning to pray here, he understands and knows that, he could only prosper with the help of God. And that's why he acknowledges that, God, you're the one who brought me here. He says, you brought me to this place here. So 
I, I got to think you're going to take care of things. He understands that he was under God's control and, and he even remembers here, God, you, you promised me good. You know, you said, return to your family and I will deal well with you. He says, God, you brought me here. So uh, if you're the one that led me here, I know you're not leading me to destruction. It's always interesting to me how after the fact, it's always easy for us to know that, oh, God brought me through this for this X, Y, and Z reason, right? But when we're in the middle of it, man, we just don't know. We're, we're lost. We're like, well, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know why this, this, and this has happened. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the Lord is going gonna, is gonna to make things work just fine. And, and it's always a comfort to know that wherever we're at, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of confusions, that God knew we were going to be right there. God knew it from all eternity. Thank God that he did. And that he's going to work things um, too good, like it tells us in Romans eight twenty eight. Hmm. I think we would be helped if we actually turned to God a little earlier in the process. If we weren't like Jacob and then freak out and get totally whacked out, and then like, okay, God, now I need your help. Because you know, we start throwing up these desperation prayers a lot of times as believers. We wait until there's nothing else to do but pray. And and Lord, you know, Lord would be right if He said. Uh, now what do you want? But he doesn't, right? He's, he's merciful and gracious, and he listens. He inclines his ear to us. I mean, how many really rotten apples do we see in Scripture and the Lord listens to them? The Lord takes care of them. It's like, well, you know, hey, if God loved that guy, he, I mean, uh, he's got to love me. I haven't done that, you know. It's funny how easy prayer becomes when when we feel like we can't control something. But what of the prayer that's born out of the everyday, out of the things that we feel are under our control, that we feel are under our purview, or those are things that we lift to God because they really should be the things that we lift to him. They should be the things that, that we allow him to take control of. And it's not an easy thing because when we pray, we understand that there's submission that happens there. And God forbid we're submitting. I mean, just think about how difficult it is for us, us to ask for help when we're doing something, right? You're doing a project in the garage or you're putting something together for the kids and, and you don't want to ask your wife for help, you know? You don't want your kids to help because they just get in the way. You're like, no, 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 and we don't want to do that thing. You know, thank God for smartphones. You don't have to stop and ask directions anymore at the gas station. I'm sure some, some of us are still running around out there. My, your wife's like, well, let me look it up on GPS. No, 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 I don't need that. I'll be okay. And we're doing the same things with God all the time, you know, in a, in a bunch of different ways. And we need to be able to submit. We need to be able to go and ask him and say, Lord, you know, t- take care of this stuff. Jacob also acknowledges here that he was unworthy of the blessings that God's given him up until this point and beyond. He says, in fact, very particularly, he was unworthy of the mercy of God here. You know, this is as close as we've seen in Jacob's life, the closest that we've seen him come to like confessing his sins and saying, Lord, forgive me. It's about as close as it's gotten up until this point. And this is a big step for him, you know. Because he's like, I- I'm not worthy of you being merciful. I think he's starting to understand how bad of a guy he is. And how important that is for all of us to understand. I and mean, we're, we're just, we're, we're crummy. And thank God that he loves us. Thank God that, you know, he, he gives us love for one another. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing when you think about that. You know, the, the love in the body of Christ is, it's otherworldly. It doesn't make any sense. It, it just, it, this kind of thing doesn't happen here. The, the closest thing that people out in the world know to this is like, hang out in the locker room with your buddies, Right? Or maybe if they're in the service, you know, sitting, you know, serving with their brothers, you know. But that's about as close as it gets, and that still doesn't touch it. It still doesn't get it. It's totally different. He knew he was unworthy of the mercy of God. He knew that he was unworthy of, of knowing God's truth, he says. So that he understood it was a privilege of knowing God's plan for him, even as little as he knew. He says, this is a privilege to know this. You know, we forget that, I think, as we walk as believers, that, it is such a privilege to know the things that we know. I mean, when you sit there and you've read Proverbs 8 for the 10,000th time, you can nearly recite it. We take it for, for granted. And God forbid we do that with the things that he, and the words that he's spoken to us. 
And they're, they're precious. They're like gold. He understands that God had blessed him tremendously. He, he's very particular about it, that he, when he crossed over the Jordan, verse 10, all he had was his staff. And now I've become two companies of people. So that the Lord blessed him tremendously. We talked about that in chapter 31, how he mentioned that to his uncle Laban. How he said, hey, you know, I, I, you gave me this and I took it and the Lord increased it. And he decided to give me these and I took it and the Lord increased it. And the Lord did it. And it was something that he came back to time and again as he's talking to his uncle. He's doing the same thing here. Uh, Jacob is beginning to understand his position and relationship to God. That it's this privilege. And, and I think it's part of his growing humility in him where he understands that things don't work unless God is in the work. You know? And that's important for us to remember, whether it's the relationships that we have with other people or the, or the endeavors that we undertake in, in our work life or the ministry that we're involved in here. If God isn't in the midst of it, then it just doesn't work. It doesn't function the way it should. It's like when you put something together and you got missing parts. It still kind of works, but you know eventually, right, it's gonna, that jingle jangle is going to bust open and it's just not going to be any good. See, Jacob had to rely on God on, on account of this. Hey, God allows the difficulties to enter into our lives so that we have opportunity to rely on him. Because if we live, the reality is we live such comfortable lives, the vast majority of us live such comfortable lives as believers, that um, when we uh, are encounter difficulty, we're like, oh, I've got to go run to God. I think God, God lets that happen. Th- thank God that he allows a difficulty in our lives. Maybe if we weren't as, as hard-headed as we are, then he would take it easier on us. You know, every man needs to come to terms with his unworthiness and needs to come to terms with God's infinite grace and his mercy. And this is, I think, what Jacob is understanding here, that he just doesn't belong. And we need to keep that in mind always, that we, we, don't, we, we don't belong, we have no right we have no rights whatsoever. We like to talk about those things, but we really don't. Are we truly humbled by him and his love and his mercy? First Peter 5, 5 says this. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think we could just as easily substitute younger people for men. Yeah? Just put you men, you know, submit yourselves to one another because God resists the proud and because grace to the humble. Jacob then asked for deliverance, knowing the character of God here. He tells God, please deliver me, you know, help me, take this away, rescue me. And, it, and it's a bit of an imperative here, but like, you please, do this, God, do this. I, I, I need this. It's a, it's a common thing and common construction in prayers throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 16.1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust very, very similar. God, you do this. Not that you make God or tell God to do things. You're saying, I, this is what I need. There's an urgency there. And he understood that God is the only one who could deliver him here, at least at this point. He acknowledges his fears. Notice his state of mind here. He says, For I fear him, in verse 11, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. This is, this is where I'm at. And there's no shame in that. You know, it can't be overlooked that he expresses, you know, his emotional state and, and God says, hey, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. He knows what's going on, but when we articulate, we understand that it's something that happens in prayer when we articulate things to God, that he starts to take care of those. And he says, that thing? All right. He says, that, that's, you, you know, you're, you're aware of it now. You understand. Let's start dealing with it. And the Lord's good. He wants us to level with him you know, on a constant basis. If we can't level with God, we can't do it with anybody. It's not going to happen anywhere else. And Jacob even uh, reminds God that he promised that he would treat Jacob well and that he would give him numerous descendants here in verse 12. He says, God, you made these promises. And so Jacob is, is not reminding God in so much as he's declaring, this is what you've said and I have hope in this. I have hope in your promises. I, I trust that what you said is what you're going to do. And that's part of the, the assurance of our, of our hope in him, is that we understand that because he said it, it will be done. You know, not many people that we can name in our lives where they say something and it gets done. It's a very, very short list, isn't it? 
You know, I'm going to be there at 8 o'clock and they're there at 8 o'clock. They're there at 7.50. It's just, it doesn't happen. Hmm. Hey, God is trustworthy. You know, Jacob understands the God that he's begun to serve here. And, and the thing is this, he understands. But for him, it doesn't quite stop all the fear. He, he still struggles here. You know, it's interesting how reminding ourselves of the things that God has said can calm fear and uncertainty. But if we don't rest in them, then we have no, no, no safety from that fear and that difficulty because our comfort as believers is him. It's in his person. It's his ability. It's his character. And we truly have to put our rest in here. We see Jacob. He doesn't do that. In fact, in verse 13 down to 22, Jacob begins to craft his own way out of things. So he prays to God, says, God, you've done this, you're this, you're that, you've made these promises. And it says, so he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, and it lists this great pre- present that he gave there. You know, Jacob, if he would have just rested and waited on God, God would have done his thing, but he didn't. He stayed put for just a second, and then he resorted to the ways that he's done things his entire life. That I, I, let's figure a way out. Let's get this done. I can take care of this. You know, this is, this is doable. And notice what he does is as he creates this offering to his brother, he relies on his possessions. He says, okay, th- this, can, this is, this is a, something I can use. And it's, it's a, quite a gift that he offers his brother. I mean, 200 goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels, then their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foot. That's a mess of animals. I mean, consider that he, this is just what he's given as an offering. How much more did he have? This is a, there's a lot of people. It's a lot of, it's a heck of a cattle drive. <laughs> you know, uh, and he says, this is going to be the offering for my brother. It's going to be a present for him. The idea of this present here is usually something that uh, a gift they would give to superior persons like a king or to give uh, an attitude of homage or submission to a person. And this is what he's hoping is going to happen with between he and his brother. So rather than rise up, defend himself, rather than sit and wait on God's deliverance, he decides, well, I'm going to go humble myself before my brother and, and get, lavish all these gifts on him, and, and we'll see how this works. And so he crafts this plan with the servants here. It says that he got the, uh, this large offering here, and in verse 16, he gathers his servants, and he gives them each of the, these groups of offerings, and he orders them to go and pass before him, to go ahead and make sure that they separate you know, bit by bit so that they come in, in waves, and he's hoping to make an impression on his brother, right? He sees one thing come, well, what's this? Well, it's for you from your brother. Oh, okay. Oh, what's this now? It's for you from your brother. Oh, wow, okay. And, you know, it's like uh, when Christmas time comes and you get a bunch of small gifts and you kind of spread it out among a bunch of boxes, right? It seemed like somebody got a lot more than they really got. And so they're opening all this stuff and they get all excited. And in reality, you probably could have put it all in one box. And, you know, that would have saved some paper and some time. And so he kind of wants to amplify the size of his gift here. He wants to make this impression on his brother. And, and he tells them, you know, when you get to Esau, you let them know these are an offering for you. There's a, a present from your brother. He's giving them to you. And, and he's coming after all of this stuff. So it's the, it's the buttering up that he's doing here. And he wanted Esau to know this is where it's coming from. It's coming from your brother Jacob. This is, this, this is a demonstration of the, the degree to which he sought Jacob, uh, Esau's favor, really. Because this is how much I want to smooth things over, you know. It tells us here that his hope, um, in, in verse uh, 19, no, I'm sorry, in verse 20, it says that his hope was that it would appease him with the present that went before him. The idea of appeasing here is the idea that it would make atonement, really, for some kind of a sin, that it would pacify anger. See, Jacob knew that he had done wrong. He knew that he had wronged his brother, taken things from him, lied, and been deceitful. And he's hoping that this this will be enough. And, of course, this reaction is just carnal because he's resorting to his own machinations, his own way of, of working around things. Well, if I do this and that and the other thing, well, then things will still work out okay. 
You know, Jacob was still Jacob, the heel catcher here. He was still Jacob, the schemer, the one who wanted to make things right. You know, what good is it if we pray to God and tell him, help me, Lord, and then we go and rely on our own abilities. We rely on the arm of flesh. It it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like going and getting coached for an athletic event, and then when you get in the game, you just do what you always do. You know, we've seen this. Those of you that are avid sports fans, you, you know that the, the coaches got to be showing them something. And they get in there and they do the same stupid things. You're like, what are they doing? I can't understand this. You got to turn that TV up before, you know, some foul things come out of your mouth. And, <laughs> and we do that all the time. We pray and we're like, Lord, take this, take care of it. And then we're like, okay, now how can I, how, how can I make things work? How can I fix things? How can I adjust this so that it suits me? We, we forget that whenever we're using flesh to figure things out, that it only leads to difficulty and to death. You know, Romans 8, Paul's talking about the arm of flesh. And he says this, he says, so then, he says, those who are in the flesh, he says, they cannot please God. Is that our goal? Is our goal to please God, to make sure that we are acceptable to him, that we're righteous in that way, that the only way to please him is to live in the spirit, to be led by that spirit, to allow the spirit to empower us so that we handle things in the way that God would have us handle things in our lives. Maybe the best thing is not to pop off when we hear something we disagree with. Maybe the best thing is to just sit there and be quiet. Maybe the best thing is not to go and correct somebody right away, but to let it sit for a while. And then when you have opportunity to go and to speak to them, you know, it's exercising wisdom and some things, you know, seem real basic to some people, but to others, it's not. You know, at work, I deal with, with these kids all the time. And dealing with kids is not so hard as it is to deal with adults. Uh, adults are difficult, you know. Um, I deal with adults who, uh, who kind of forget the way that the kids are thinking. You know, they, they, they think they can go and act a certain way around the kids and think that it's going to be okay. They think, hey, I can go hang out with the kids and I can kind of be their buddy and things are going to work out well with them. And it's not going to work like that because the kids, you know, we all remember we're like as adolescents. Whenever an adult showed that, we knew that was weakness. We're like, okay, I got this. This is easy. You know, and we just run over people and people forget stuff like that. What's crazy is when you tell people stuff like stuff like, and you say, hey, you know, just go ahead. Why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? You try to be a help and, and, uh, be good to them and people don't want to change simply because they don't want to change. And while we might sit there and shake our head at people that, why don't they do this? We forget that there are a bunch of other things that we're doing that don't make any sense. And so we end up like uh, the the person who picks a splinter off somebody else's eye when they got that plank in their own eye, like Jesus says. Hmm. We have to look for those blind spots in our lives. We have to make sure that we're not going back to what's easiest for us, but rather we're allowing God to, uh, to do what he wants in us and to handle things in his way and in his timing. Jacob created this elaborate plan here and he had them send all these things and these droves of animals. And now he executes it there in verses 21 and 22. He gets them and it says that he sends them out on before him and he lodged in the camp and he even took his wives and his servants and his sons, and he sent them ahead of him uh, over the, the, the Jabbok, which is more of a, like a brook. It wasn't a large river, but it is a river, I guess. And so he, he's alone there by himself after saying this gift. You know, scheming is difficult work, huh? Come up with plans is a, is a tough thing. It's so much easier when we allow God to take care of things. You know, I... I, I can think of specific times where I have to sit in meetings with people and I'm nervous. I'm thinking, oh, man, it's going to be bad. This person's combative. They don't want to listen. This and that and the other thing. Get yourself worked up about stuff, right? Then when you, you, you stop and you're like, God, please, you know, please <laughs> be in this. And then you sit down and then things go totally different than you thought. And then afterwards you look, turn around and you're like, where'd that come from? And then you know, because you're a believer, that was the Lord. You know, that, that worked out that way because God had it work out that way. And maybe it worked out that way because 
I was the one that had the attitude adjustment. Because the Lord just said, no, you shut up and listen. And you do things this way instead. And the Lord's like, there you go. All that apprehension for what? So much easier to allow God to take care of things. This is what the Lord wants Jacob to see here in verses 23 to 32. That Jacob needs to submit to God. In verse uh, 23 it says, So he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over what he had. So then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he had touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Well, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, Well, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Well, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Well, why is it that you ask my, about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life pres- preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So Jacob learned submission here in the end of this chapter. But notice it starts with, with God's initiation. God goes and he wrestles with Jacob all night because he wanted Jacob to learn the submission. And it's important to remember that it's God that started this with Jacob. It wasn't Jacob grabbing God and saying, you're going to give me this. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear that sometimes when you're listening on the radio or you're looking at certain commentary. We're like, yeah, Jacob really, you know, got it and all this stuff. And it just doesn't work like that. You know, we, we don't subdue God. And that, that never happens. In fact, God wanted to subdue Jacob and get Jacob to realize these things. And then, so this wouldn't happen until Jacob was alone here by himself. And then he appeared here, this man, to wrestle with him all, all night. And this was physical uh, in as much as it was spiritual. Okay? And we know it was physical because of the injury that happened. We also know because of later on that it had to do with prayer. And we'll see some of the commentary on this in Hosea 12. And we also know that this is God. Um, and that this is a Christophany, it's called. It's a appearing of the pre-incarnate Christ. Hosea 12.5 tells us that he was wrestling against the angel of the Lord, which is uh, almost always uh, the title for Christ in the Old Testament when he appears. So that Christ came down and, and got Jacob and said, you need, to, you need to listen. And so during the course of the, this long night here, it says that Jacob uh, wouldn't submit to God. Rather, that he, uh, God wouldn't, couldn't prevail or overcome him. He couldn't uh, be the victor in this match, so to speak. But the angel of the Lord did not overcome him. And it really was due to the stubbornness of Jacob. Okay? And we, we understand then that Jacob could not conquer God spiritually. So it's really talking about in in the in the physical aspect that Jacob just kept struggling and fighting and getting after it and not letting things happen. And Jacob was doing all of this like he had always had in his own life, in his own strength. In fact, in Hosea 12, verse 3, it says this, that Jacob took his brother by the heel in the womb. It says, and in his strength, he struggled with God. So it was all about him. It was all about him uh, not wanting to relent. And this really is a picture of how we deal with God oftentimes, where we keep fighting him. We think that we can win. And the reality is we're not going to. That if God relents, and that's bad news for us, God help us if he lets us have what we want. If he says, all right, you want that, here you go. I pray that never happens in my life. I pray God always, you know, pushes the right button, you know, knocks the right thing out of joint. They're like, okay. You, you got it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm submitted now. Uh, Jacob w- was not relenting though here. And so he, he had to be physically afflicted here by the Lord. So that uh, Christ went here and he, he says he touches his thigh and he dislocates it really. And the thigh um, it, it is a significant part of the body. 
in so much as the thigh stands for man's, a man's foundation, what a man is based on, what a man is. And so that the Lord touches him physically and weakens him and shows his superior strength by dislocating Jacob's thigh and says, no, Jacob, I'm the one that has the power here. I'm the one that has the control here. Here you go. You know, um, we know that Jacob wasn't healed of this. We see later on here in the chapter. But from this moment on, God forever alters, not just Jacob physically, but he really alters by touching that thigh, the, the entire basis, the foundation of Jacob's life, where it was not one of him struggling and fighting and resorting to his own will, but it would be one that was going to be marked by God being in charge. That the, this, this incident and the residual effects of it would remind Jacob to continue to submit, to continue to yield to God. And Jacob is impaired by God. I mean, consider this. And he touches and knocks that, that hip out of joint. He's limping around everywhere. He's got a brother with 400 guys coming that he thinks are going to get him. He can't even run away now. He is stuck. I and mean, that's it, man. You're done. Try running away on a gimpy ankle. It's not going to work. They're going to catch you. It's like when you're a kid and there's some dog chasing you guys and you always feel bad for the slowest of the bunch. You know, that poor little chubby kid, you know, that you hung out with and you're like, see you later, buddy. <laughs> you're off that over that fence. You're gone. And that kid, yum, yum. <laughs> you know, he's going to get a, a chunk taken out of him. Jacob couldn't even run away. You know, we, we need to be changed. We need to be changed in such a way that we need to submit to God. That we are not sufficient. You know, we have to acknowledge our, our inability to handle things in our own life. Now, do we acknowledge that? Not just that it is a one-time thing, but something that happens all the time in our lives. Because yes, we acknowledge that when we come to Christ. I can't, I can't take care of my sin. I need forgiveness. But then it's something that has to happen all the time. It has to continue to happen if we're going to continue to walk. It's good, it has to happen if we're going to repair that relationship for when we mess up and say, okay, Lord, I messed up. I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. I repent and so that you can now have a right relationship with him again. It's kind of like when Saul was on the roads of Damascus there in Acts and he's walking and God knocks him on his butt, right? And he's, he sees this bright light and then Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he says this, he says, don't you know it's difficult to kick against the goads? And Saul's like, well, Lord, <laughs> is it you? And he knew who it was and it, he realized the difficulty that he was causing it for himself. We need that reminder daily. And we're only going to get that as we get into the word on a consistent basis. As we sit and we study, really, because the reading of the word, while important, is not going to give you everything that God wants to give you, is it? But to invest that time and sit in there and methodically study and you know, start with something that you're not intimidated by and sit and get into it, start to tear it apart. You know? Even if it's just looking up certain words and starting like that, do what you do. But start to get, get in that practice. Because the fruit that that's going to bear in your life, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be the best thing ever. And it's going to remind you of your inability. You know, Jacob, he, he's touched here and has that, that thigh, that hip knocked out of socket here. And it says that as he's still wrestling with God, with, with Jesus, that Jesus tells him, he says, let me go. You know, it's day is coming. I, I, Got it. Got to go, you know, and we, you know, the day and night, we don't really, I don't really know why exactly he said it goes daytime. And, you know, if, if you press me for an answer, I would think that it has to be because he, he would see him you know, completely, you know, plainly, but that would just be, um, conjecture, conjecture. And it really wouldn't, uh, uh, be something I can prove to you from scripture or from study, but that, that's my take on it at, at any rate. So he tells him, you know, let, let me go. And Jacob says, no, he wouldn't relent, Jacob. He was continuing to be stubborn here in so much as he wanted that blessing. He says, I, I need you to bless me. I, I, I have to have this. And there's something to commend Jacob in that, I think, in that he knew that he needed God's blessing to proceed, that he needed God to be in the midst of these things. Because Jacob wasn't going to overpower God. And he doesn't overpower God here, but rather he's crying out here in desperation. This is, this is his prayer, Lord, please bless me. 
in, in Hosea chapter 12 again in verse 4. When it's talking about the situation, the prophet says this is, yes, he's talking about Jacob. He struggled with the angel and he prevailed. It says he wept and he sought favor from him. That doesn't sound like winning a wrestling match. He was praying. He's going to God and saying, Lord, please, please be here. So instead of a picture of strength, we get a picture of pleading. You know, that's how we gain victory in our lives. By submitting to God, by knowing our insufficiency, by allowing him to take care of the things that we don't know. You know, when I'm at work and I'm dealing with a group of 30 kids and, you know, the reality is I'm working with kids that are 15 years old and that are reading about as well as most third and fourth graders. And so if I'm trying to teach them something in the high school standards, it's quite difficult. And so... Uh, you know, we'll start to use them to help each other in the classroom. And they start to work together and they fill in gaps so that they all have partial bits of the information so they help each other. And, and before you know it, they're able to do the things that they couldn't do by themselves. And I think there, there's some some crossover between that distinct event among a group of kids. They're trying to get through something as simple as their everyday schooling and us as believers where we know that we're missing something. And God's that other piece that's there to give us a thing that we're missing. It's to say, here you go. This is it. Okay. And, and, and I'm going to give it to you freely. And so as Jacob is wrestling here, God then changes Jacob forever. It says that as he's there, he says, he says bless me. And, you know, he doesn't want to let him go. And then so God deals with them. He says, well, what's your name? He says, Jacob. He says, well, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So that God changes his name to Israel. He says, you're no longer going to be heel catcher. Your identity isn't going to be marked by this, you know, the, this name that speaks ill of you. And that's kind of tough. I mean, don't you think? You know, it's like being called ugly. <laughs> What's your name? Ugly. And they just, I mean, what would we do? We don't have names like this, I guess, that... That we, you know, are, are like verbs as names, you know, or descriptions as names. But this was Jacob. And to even to have to say that to God, it had to be a bit painful and a bit uncomfortable. And then to be aware of the difference between God, uh, Jacob and then he says Israel, which means God wins. God prevails. It was such a contrast between the two. So you have one, he's becoming a person who's going to be governed by God, someone who's who willfully surrenders himself to the Lord. So that that name change, along with the hip socket injury, is going to show Jacob really who is in charge for the rest of his life. And he needed this, every little bit of it. And we could take comfort in the fact that the things that happen, the Lord deals with us in that way because that is what we need. That that's the course that the Lord has for us to run. But such a difference between the old nature of the schemer and the one who submits, the one who goes, takes his hands back and says, okay, Lord, you go ahead and do this. And that difference should be the same difference that exists in us. That the way we would have handled things apart from God is so much the opposite of the way we handle things in God. That where we lash out in anger and frustration, that we would exercise patience. You know, That when we would uh, get frustrated, rather we'd stop and be calm. You know, we need to make sure that those are marks in our lives that we're meeting. And we need to be honest with ourselves about our character and the way that we, that we handle the situations in our lives and, the, and what that says about us. But the reality is that we often do rely on ourselves rather than God. And so we have to be in that prayerful attitude daily. You know, we remember Paul encourages us in the New Testament to pray without ceasing. And that truly is what we need to do. We have to be in that attitude without fail. Because it never fails that those days that are bad, it's because we haven't been in that prayerful attitude. We haven't spent that time in the Word. Yeah? Oh, jeez. John? Uh-huh. 
Right, right. crazy it's wild when we see the things happen in our lives and we're able to see the hand of god work in the midst of the things that happens so what if it weren't for the grace of god this is what would have transpired and we can say we all have those stories right we all have those things that happen in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love you know thank god that he's gracious relying on him rather than self jacob's winning here i guess his prevailing is not a physical one then. It's, a, it's prevailing in prayer that he would be named Israel here because it says he struggled with God and man and prevailed and he didn't best God in a, in a match or in a fight, but rather he submitted to God in prayer and that that's winning. That's the opposite of the way the world thinks of winning, huh? It's always the strongest, it's always the fastest, it's always the smartest, but rather in God's economy, it's the opposite. It's, it's that ability to do when you realize, when you finally say, I have no ability. He prevailed in securing God's blessing once he would leave his own way behind. And that's where we need to be as believers, where we left our ways behind. And we're starting to incorporate, you know, what God would have us do. We would not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. You know, it says that God blesses Jacob due to his submission here. That, um, as he's speaking, you know, Jacob asks his name and God doesn't even answer him. <laughs> That's not for you to know, basically, right? But he does give Jacob a blessing so that Jacob receives God's blessing. And it's not any kind of a blessing that he could ever have hoped for from before. It's not like the blessing that he went and he stole from his brother, right? By getting it from his father. But rather, it's a blessing that doesn't come from deceit, but it comes from submission, from putting that guard down saying, okay, you, you, you got this. You know, it's, it's so much more easily said than done when we're talking about submitting to God. We hear it and we think about it like, oh, yeah. But then we get out there and we put it into practice and it's so sticking hard. It's, uh, it's something that we're always trying to do. And we're always trying to get better at. But there really isn't anything that's more necessary for us as believers. I mean, it's an, it's an integral part of, our, of the Christian life. And, and it's a joy that we have as believers in knowing that, that God is in the midst of the things that we do, that he's at the center of, the, of our lives, and that we can hand things over. And it, it is a comfort. Because worrying about stuff is the pits. Having to think and say, this, this, and that, and I can't control and this and the other thing. And it's just, it just, it eats you up. It makes you ineffective. You know, not just in God, but in everyday life. And, and we need to allow him to do those things. We need to allow him to take stuff from us and, and say, I, I, I got it. Don't worry about this. You know, Jacob begins even to understand his own privilege here. It says after uh, Christ leaves him here, it says that he looks up and he commemorates the encounter with God, calls a place Peniel, and he, sees, uh, he says, I've, I've met God face to face. This is something that I've got to remember. It's something that is a humbling thing. He was amazed, I think, that he, that he saw God. He says he was amazed that he didn't die when he saw God. He says, so I've got to memorialize this. I've got to remind myself of this. You know how important it is not just to remember the things that God has told us, but to make sure that um, they're there so that we can go to the well when we need them, right? We can remind ourselves there was that right there at that time, this time and that other time, and and the Lord was there in all those times. And so... Well, if it happened back then, it's going to continue to happen going forward. And so Jacob, he understands the privilege that he has here. And God, of course, is kind enough to leave Jacob a reminder here of his, uh, of his inadequacy, as Jacob says, is limping around, you know, because of his hip. You know, he's just kind of hobbling. And could you imagine his wife, his wives, and they see him walking up and say, what happened? God, <laughs> he's just uh, limping up, going, okay. Yeah, I would put a little bit of fear, I think, into everybody. And it's crazy. Later on, you're reading, you know, his sons, they're acting dumb and, you know, being, 
acting the fool and they got these little idols, got to tell them to get rid of them and stuff. You think they would have learned a little bit, huh? When they saw their dad come limping out of the desert, you know, so what happened? God got me, you know, and I learned and they just, they don't, they don't get it. But we don't often learn until it happens to us, do we? It says that he left them this reminder. It reminds me of, uh, of Paul, how he was left with a, with a physical mark and, and infirmity. In 2 Corinthians twelve seven, where he says, um, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations of God speaking to him. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, I want to seek that the power of Christ would be upon me. And I know if that's happening, then I am not the kind of a person who's going to be full of myself. I'm not the kind of a person who's going to be relying on my abilities. But rather, God's strength is made perfect in that weakness, like he says. And Paul knows very well why he had it. It's always amazing to me how Paul, the Lord spoke to him so specifically. He says, no, Paul, you would be puffed up or not for this. And Paul's like, okay. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Because it's like the Lord knows that about you and he levels with you about this is why it's there. And so you know you have to give it up. You know, God's, God's people, we need to remember our own insufficiency. It's interesting here that in verse 32 it says, that's why the children of Israel uh, don't eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip, you know, because the Lord touched Jacob's hip. And they did this so that they would remember, not just so that they could commemorate the thing, but so really they would remember the concept, which is easy to forget, that the Lord is the one they need to submit to, that he is the one who has power over them. He is the one that works on their behalf. And if they forget that, that's the root cause of the issues that they're going to have in their lives. It's going to be multiple issues. And pride and self-sufficiency, it's, it's the enemy of the church. It's the enemy of us as individuals and affects us first as individuals. And, and then it pollutes the work of God and just infects all of these areas. And, and it leads us astray and, and how we have to guard against that. And so we need to set up those guards in our own lives so that we wouldn't fall into trusting ourselves. Because the reality is that's our nature. That's what we want to do. That's what's easiest for us to do. And God says, do not do what's easy. You know. Do, do what, what I'm asking you to do. That's very rarely easy. Very rarely easy. You know, I've been, my, my son, it's a good thing he doesn't listen to these things. Um, my son is quite the boastful little guy. And uh, he thinks he could do all these things. You know, like I could do this, I could do that. And some things he can do, granted. And some things he can do. And, you know, he's at the place now where, like, when, when he's being taught something, it doesn't matter whether it's throwing a certain way or learning a thing in school, where when he can't do it, he's just like, well, forget this. I'm not going to do it. And it's one of those things where it's not like, you know, take that there, but he collapses. And he, he just goes weak, and it's like a puddle of flesh. <laughs> he doesn't do things, and... uh and he do, he doesn't like the difficulty of learning things. And I told him the other day we sat there and we spoke. And I said, Ben, you know, I said, Ben, the, the the things that we need to learn are the most difficult things, and those are the things that when you learn them, you learn them best. When you put that work into to master it and to get good at something. So that the next day when I took him out and I said, Let's go do this, he was like, Okay. And then all of a sudden, things are great. And it had nothing to do with ability, but it had everything to do with attitude and willingness and reception. And that, that, that's the way the Lord is dealing with us, where he's saying, these things that I ask you to do, while they're difficult, they're the things that are necessary. And if you just put in that bit of work, and it's very little the Lord asks of us, well, then it's going to be fine. And, and you're going to know and you're going to learn. You know, we need to submit because we're all Jacobs. We all want to take care of things. Our, our, our prayer is that 
we do it willingly and the Lord wouldn't have to bring us to our knees like he did with Jacob. But that if he does, that we know that the Lord does it out of love and the Lord does it out of uh, concern for us and uh, that he wants all things to work for good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the scripture and the examples we have in it. Father, our prayer, Lord, is that we would allow you to be sufficient. Lord, that we'd submit to you more daily and we allow you to inhabit all different areas of our lives, Father. We pray that as we do this, that you'd make us effective for you, that we'd be witnesses to you and that you'd use us in, in other people's lives, Lord, that you'd allow us to, to bless you in that way. We thank you for the, the brothers we have here in Christ and thank you for the fellowship and we pray that you just continue to bless it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>